Welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He is Jeff Fiegels. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes. Thanks so much for tuning in. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. And as always, Big Blue Kickoff Live brought to you by Coors Light Mountain Cold Refreshment Made to Chill. Well, it seems as if we have a bit of news to discuss today, Jeff. Oh, really? Yes. What? I don't know. Just something slight. Eli Manning officially announcing his retirement. He'll have a press conference on Friday here at the Giants facility, and that'll be streamed live on Giants.com. I think this was news that the majority of us were expecting mm-hmm. over the course of the season, especially knowing that his contract was going to expire, also that he likely did play his final home game. So I don't think this caught anybody off guard, but... This is an opportunity to reminisce, Jeff, and reflect, and and also an opportunity for you to weigh in on somebody that you know very personally from playing alongside him for a number of seasons. Well, it's funny because I feel like we've been talking about Eli Manning retiring for some time, but now that it's official, um, it's kind of like it's just, you know, it's not as, it doesn't seem to be as big a deal, right? I mean, uh, last year or even into this season, it just felt like it just didn't know. Hello, how you doing? I think we got a call on the yeah, uh, line already. Somebody An sneaked, unexpected guest, yeah. Somebody's sneaking in there. <laughs> yes. We'll be right back with yeah. you. I <laughs> Go mean, ahead, Jeff. Yes. I, only have, I only get a monologue every once in a while. So. <laughs> the voice of God. Yes, it's exactly. Yes. So how dare you call into the show while I'm talking? <laughs> no, just kidding. You, we'll, we'll get to you. Um, but it's great. You know, I mean, I feel like, you know, this is something I went through um, at the end of my career. Nothing like this. I'm not comparing myself to Eli Manning. But there's a time in your career when... All of a sudden, it starts talking to you, and I think the big one is sitting down with your family and understanding, you know, is this what I want to do? I, I Eli's the kind of guy that's not going to retire and then unretire and go play for somebody. It's not going to happen. I think he's just once this is has been discussed and it's been announced, it's he's done, and so that's a good thing. I th- I feel like Eli's in a place. He's in a good place. He he played a. And I just love that Dolphins game because he got an opportunity to have that one last game at home. And I feel like that send-off was just tremendous. So a lot of stuff that goes into this decision. But in the bottom line here is that he had a great career. The guy was just phenomenal. He was an outstanding teammate of mine. Uh, We roomed together in training camp where our lockers were next to each other. Um, Just an outstanding, just a great person. He's, you know, I miss him because I don't get to see him all that much anymore, but he will be around. He'll be around the organization, and I think all the fans will agree that he gave us some of the best football you're ever going to see and one of the best football players you're ever going to see play this, wear this Giants uniform is Eli Manning. And, uh, you know, got two Super Bowls out of it, and I can't thank him enough for the 2007 season and grinding through it. The one thing that you could always count on Eli is that he's going to be in the building early. He's going to leave late. He's going to give you everything he has. And, you know, as much as he wasn't the greatest athlete on the world, he made things happen. And he had the stage was his when he got into the playoffs because, really, if he could have played as good as he did during the playoffs, we wouldn't be talking about if or if he's going to make the um, the the Hall of Fame or not. He's going to make the Hall of Fame. But I'm just happy for him, and tomorrow will be a very emotional day for him, but it'll be an exciting day. Welcome to the next chapter of – of, of your life, Eli. It happens, it goes on, and before you know it, 10 years will go by. That's what happens. So you're already giving him some pointers then, I assume, Jeff. Yeah, I'm going to give him a bunch of You've gone through this process before. Yeah, it, yes. exactly right. And I, you know, the thing about it is as much as you can you can stay around the game, and I, I'm so fortunate to be able to do what I do here on Big Blue Kickoff and the pre- and the post-game stuff during the season that I can stick around and I can be a part of this organization and be a part of football. I'm sure in some way, shape, or form that Eli will still be 
part of this organization doing something for them uh, on a maybe not on a permanent basis, but on a part time basis. Well, you brought up another group of interesting points related to Eli Manning, and I want to expand on them. Number one, you're right. Very rare in football that you get your moment before you call it quits. Eli got his moment at home. When you think about a basketball game, Jeff, the coach can take you out. You have an opportunity for the crowd to acknowledge you. It doesn't necessarily work that way in football. Plus, it's always the land of the unknown. Is that indeed going to be his final home game? Would he go to explore another team? And, you know, Eli was able to get the acknowledgement from the fans. Oh, my God. It was like a it was perfectly high note. It really was just drawn up. It couldn't have been drawn up any better. He got back to 117 and 117. He won his last game he ever played in. It was a home game and it was a win. Uh, he got the curtain call thing at the end of the game, and that's set up perfectly, like you said, Lance. So, yeah, I mean, it's very rare that you have the opportunity to have the this play out the way that it did. And uh, certainly I think that, you know, he wishes that he would have played a little bit more during the 2019 season. But the fact of the matter is it, it is what it is. Uh, he got to win that last one of his career, and that was an outstanding, outstanding day for him. And, and I, it was kind of crazy because I, I remember telling you this story is that I was, you know, after the after the game's over, Paul and I go to the to the um, downstairs to the coaches club and do our post game deal down there. And uh, I went down especially early that day, and I was behind the bench inside, um, watching all of it happen. And it was just, you know, it was kind of it was interesting. I, I was I had a little tear in my eye to be honest with you because it was just very emotional for me seeing him because I've been through that. I knew kind of when my last game was going to be, and and for him to go through that and. And now tomorrow, this is kind of like the final chapter and being done with football, if you will. And he'll he'll drive away from this facility knowing that he's never going to come back in here and put a put his cleats on again and things like that. So a lot of things go through your mind, but they're good things. You know, you, yeah. it's not like Eli had a six year career. He had a great career um, of longevity. He should have never, ever been to the fact that his consecutive game streak should still be there, in my opinion. And the fact is that. He gave everything he could to this organization and to himself and to his teammates. Yeah, it's remarkable, especially in football, to for play injury. 16 for, seasons I mean, come yeah. on. without even with one that. team and not miss a start due to yeah. injury. That's why everybody wants to sit here and talk about the two Super Bowls, the postseason runs, Jeff, where he ranks yeah, on great. the all-time list. That's great. Honestly, if you ask me one thing that comes to mind when you bring up the name Eli Manning, it's durability yep. and it's the fact that he never misses start due to injury. The conversation should end there. Yep, and don't don't forget about accountability. I mean, yeah. the guy the guy would always stand up in front of people and tell tell you when he made a mistake and I should have done this and I shouldn't have done that. And a classic example of it, folks, if I've said it before on this show, you may or may not have heard this, but you know, on games where the Giants lost, there's Eli Manning on Monday mornings and he's in the locker room taking questions and things about the loss. On games that they won, Eli there wasn't there on Monday. He didn't want to talk about the wins. He always wanted to talk about the losses, wanted to be accountable for what happened and stood up for his teammates and he always has. Yeah, he's been consistent on and off the field, Jeff, is pretty much the best way to describe yeah. him. He he has handled the media like a pro. He's put on clinic after clinic in <laughs> terms of dealing with the media here in New York for 16-plus seasons. Yeah, We, we yeah, talked yeah. about, you know, holding up from— <laughs> Injury standpoint. Nice little subtle reference at it. I don't know if the audience picked up on it. I certainly picked up on it. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, how many times would we be in the... We, oh, Lance, absolutely. I'm sorry to interrupt yes. you. No, but, no, it's but, fine. But we would, uh, Lance and I, of course, doing the post-game show, we were in there listening to all the interviews, and, and I always would make... I still do. I make fun of Eli because every time he asks a question, he answered the, he began the same way. 
Well, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, you know, everything's well, yeah. It's got it down pat, yeah. yeah. Um, and then I would say it, and sure enough, you're like, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I said, it's routine for it him. It is routine, and by the way, he, you're right, he's just, he's so consistent in his approach to things that he does, and um, I feel like, you know, he's just such a special athlete. I, you, you don't you don't see too many guys like that anymore. Now, you talk about Daniel Jones being 2.0 Eli. Well, we'll hope that Daniel Jones is 2.0 Eli in the way that he plays because he got two Super Bowls the way he plays in, in the years that he did. Well, and the other thing, which I, I think came to the forefront immediately, Jeff, we've been talking a lot about Eli Manning and holding up and not missing games due to injury. Daniel Jones has been in the year in the league for just one year, and already he's missed two games due to injury. Yeah. So, I mean, that spells out Eli Manning's accomplishment in itself right there. You just needed to sit through one season of Daniel Jones, and it's not to take anything away from Daniel Jones and not an indication that he's going to be injury-prone, but... I think if you look across the NFL landscape, it is unheard of for a team to draft a player in 2004 <laughs> and to say we never had to worry about somebody else filling in for him as a result of him not being ready to go because of injury. Yeah. Well, it also goes to show you that he knows a little bit about getting out of the way. He, he, you know, there's so many times we saw Eli throw the football away, throw it in the ground, or take that sack that you probably didn't – fans didn't think that he would or he should have – but those types of plays that go, you know, un, they, they go notice. But the bottom line is he's doing it for a reason. And that reason was that I can continue to play for as long as I did without hit, taking those hits, with just throwing the ball and living for the next down. And those are smart plays when it comes to what he's done over his career, the longevity. If, if he's a guy that's going to sit there and take hits all day, which what like that NFC championship game yeah, in Niners 2011, game. Um, that he just basically was saying, I, we got to get to the Super Bowl. I don't care how many times I get hit. I'm going to get hit. I don't care. Um, but those are just smart plays. And I think players have to be smart when it comes to things like that, especially in today's game. I mean, you're protected a little bit more as a quarterback, which helps. Well, I'm glad you brought up the 2011 season because, once again, I think it's easy to turn to the Super Bowl games. Yeah. The 2011 season, I oh, would man. argue, may be the most defining season for Eli Manning. How many Just times look at the regular we, season. Oh, my God. The right? regular season. How yeah. many times will we uh, – listen, I, that was – I was doing um, I was doing TV that year, okay, uh, with Amani Toomer and Russ and myself. We were doing the post game on MSG. I mean, every other week we're sitting there thinking the Giants are dead in the water, and here comes Eli. Yeah. I don't know how many games he brought them back from that season, but statistically, one of his best seasons ever. Um, the way that he brought those the team back and got wins behind, come from behind wins was ridiculous. The 11 NFC Championship game, ridiculous. And then they go into Indianapolis and win that game, ridiculous, against the Patriots again. So I, I'll agree with you. I think 15, 11 was his best season that year wasn't it yeah I mean he piled up ridiculous numbers because to your point they had to have one comeback after another there were so many tight games that yeah, season yeah it was great and the Niners championship game is the game in which he probably took as many hits as humanly possible in one game yeah. yet somehow found a way to get up get up again and then get up well, some that's more. his toughness so yeah you know. durability and toughness uh, two words that are probably best used to describe Eli Manning but the 11th season personally if you were to ask me that would be the season I would highlight to say give me a year where you really saw the true colors of Eli Manning yeah. I think 11 would top my list I would agree with you just because of the fact that I think it put everything into a bottle for that season about Eli Manning the durability accountability, the professionalism, the toughness. 
Um, and, you know, and Paul has said it on air. You know, there's so many things that, that Eli Manning did throughout his career to be able to stay on that field. He was hurt. There was there was years when I, I I don't I'm not that good of a memory when it comes to that kind of stuff. Paul knows it like the back of his hand, but you know you had the you know plantar fasciitis, you had the yep. the rib injuries, you had there's tons of things. Well, that, in 07, the, Jeff, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Okay. The shoulder injury, the shoulder injury, with yeah, him, right? absolutely. I mean, he almost missed games then, and he yeah. didn't, and he didn't, and you know those are just and that's that is there's a there's a listen there's a toughness that comes with the NFL football player period. From from all the way down. I mean, I'm even to punters and kickers. You still got to be, and I don't want to pat myself on the back, but there's times you when ahead, you still have to be, uh, you got to be tough as far as injuries because it's a tough game. I mean, there's still guys out there hitting you, but you're also training and you're doing things that injuries are going to happen. Um, that everyone has them, and by the end of the season, if you're not tough enough to to be able to go out on that field on Sunday and play and just you continue to complain about it, you're not going to be in the league. People are going to be like, you know, you're labeled as a guy that just is not gonna, not a tough guy. And Eli Manning has always been that tough dude. I mean, just just tough as nails. And the 11 NFC Championship game, I remember watching, and I just, I've just i been seeing all kinds of clips from him because everybody, you know, you, you put up Twitter now, it's, it's the whole thing is Eli. And they're doing the 11 best plays and just showing some things like that. And pretty impressive. Um, and I will tell you, you know, we talk about his plays. You know, you can talk about the Tyree catch and the the throw to Plaxico Burris in 2007 to win the Super Bowl. I saw, and I've seen it many, many times today and last night, people showing that pass to Mario Manningham. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you look at the zip on that play, on that that tight spiral, perfect, perfect, perfect pass. It was a beauty. And I, you know, I just kind of forgot about how good it was. And then I started seeing it again on Twitter and really watching it. It was a heck of a play. And I'll tell you what, he made some awesome plays off his back foot. Eli's throwing off his back foot to some of these guys was incredible. And I don't know if you guys know this, but his first touchdown was the Jeremy Shockey in 2004. So. There you go. And he's come a long way since that throw to Jeremy Shockey. But you bring up the Manningham throw. Mm -hmm. To me, the perfect definition of a perfect pass is when only your receiver can get the football. Right. Either it's going to be incomplete. That's right. The receiver's not going to get it or he catches it. It's going to be nowhere in the vicinity of a defender. And that's, to me, the best way to describe the Manningham throw. Because you knew it was either going to be Manningham or nothing. Yep. That was the result. And the other one that I saw... um, and I, I, I can't give – I don't know who – a lot of them were given the top ten plays, but the passes. And I played in so many of these games. You know, I, they all run together for me. They become but, a blur, yeah. But I think it was in 06 we beat the, we beat the Eagles on a, on a last-minute throw, touchdown throw by Eli Manning. And that was another beautiful throw. Same thing that you just said, Lance, is that, you know, the only, only, the only one that's going to catch or not catch this ball is the receiver. And uh, anytime you go down into Philly – and by the way – it was a long. That was a long time ago. <laughs> well, something tells me Philly hasn't changed too much, Jeff. That was my point. They haven't. Been, they haven't gone down there and been able to win anything down there in a long time. So maybe this new coaching staff and this new team. Um, I actually have got to meet a lot of the new coaches, and I know that they're all very excited about Joe Judge and what he brings to the table here and his whole philosophy of things. And I think it's uh, you know the arrow is pointing up. All right, let's open up the phone lines. Big Blue Kickoff Live Thursday's edition. He's Jeff Fiegels. I'm Lance Meadow. Eli Manning calling it quits after 16 seasons. He will have his press conference on Friday here at the Giants facility. Let's open up the lines, 201-939-4513. Carlos is in Astoria, and he gets us going here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Carlos? Hey, guys. How are you? Good. How are you? 
I, I'm great. And these uh, since the news broke, I think um, the, the reminder of what the Giants mean to you kind of has hit home, whether it's my friends or my brothers or my cousins or friends from college. The group chats and, and the memories of Eli kind of just kind of drives home that the, the tradition of the Giants is really what makes it special. You know, sharing sharing that the, the passion with them with other people, uh, and, and Eli has certainly been a big part of the fabric of that. Uh, so I'm, I'm ecstatic that he's called it quits as a member of the Giants. I never wanted to see him in another uniform or playing for another team. Um, so just kind of a, a great 24 hours. You kind of see the passage of time. I was I was a high school senior the day he was drafted. I was working in a deli, listening on the radio, and I was supposed to be helping customers. Um, <laughs> What's one of your sure. favorite plays? What's one of your favorite moments from Eli? My favorite? Oh, man. That's, uh, a, that's a tough question. I've been asking it. I mean, I got people asking me all the time. I just That's a tough one to think about. I, I know which one it is for me, but go ahead. You know, I, I think my proudest moment of Eli – um, was probably the San Francisco game because you know I grew up on Long Island. It was either Jet fans or Giant fans, and, and, and our group of friends it was like a constant fight. And they never even gave him his credit, even after the first Super Bowl. They're like, "Well, besides the one Super Bowl, was, after that second one, uh, they finally like acknowledged his toughness and his grit, and uh, just kind of what he stands for as a player." Um, but there's a million. I think mostly I'm most proud that Eli's been a big part of things that I share with my family. You know, I was away in college when they won the first Super Bowl. I, I was able to go home for the game. But when they beat Green Bay, my phone rang. My mother was on the phone. She was crying. My, I spoke <laughs> to my brothers, my dad. And, and then it's, it really kind of drives home. It's, it's, it's above the wins and losses. It's, it's a shared passion. It's a tradition. And, and, and that's what the Giants at least are to me. Right. Um, so I'm just I'm, I'm thrilled that I'm happy for Eli, and guys, if you can, I don't know what kind of pull you have there. None. Try to get him on a show <laughs> so we can call in and, and kind of pay our respects to him one on one. I'll hang up and listen, guys. Thanks for the. All right, Carlos. Appreciate the phone call. Well, not only have we ever had a chance, we've never had a chance to get Eli on the show during this when he's been here. There's probably no chance in the world of getting him on the show tomorrow in his biggest day. <laughs> But I wish we could. I mean, I wish we could. We would love it. And I'm sure that, you know, maybe one time, maybe I can work my, my magic yeah. with Eli. Former roommate. Now that uh, now that he's been, you know, he's been, you know, put aside, if you will, put on the shelf. <laughs> well, he's, he's joining the retirement that's right, he's like gonna yourself. Have, yeah, now yes. he's gonna, it's like the movie Cocoon. He'll be hanging out in the pool. <laughs> there you go. You know, yeah. and um, I won't promise it, but I'll try. Maybe I'll try to do that. Of course, I'll have to run that by Schmuck, which I don't think he'll care. In fact, he'll probably want me to book more guests after I do hey, that. Hey, if you could use your pull, uh, we'd all welcome it. We, I don't have much we've been pull. waiting for the opportune moment for you to capitalize on that. Let's uh, head back to the phone lines. Let's check in with Bruno in Atlanta. He joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Bruno? How you boys doing? All right. Good talking to you again. You too. Uh, I, was, I was watching the, the video that was posted. You know, I saw, the, you know, Eli's, all of his touchdown throws. I'm like, wow, an hour and three minutes. Uh, I might start watching, you know, a little bit of it. And I just found myself for an hour and three minutes sitting there rewinding the, the touchdowns. It was a beautiful thing to see. If you recall, I called yesterday and I, I talked about the tight ends. Yeah. And a, a couple of those touchdown passes were, were to Kevin Boss, you know, and, and – 
again, one of, one of Eli's great traits was that he did he he got a lot out of some guys like like a Steve Smith who went on to have a shortened career. I mean, Eli, I, in my opinion, Eli put him in the Pro Bowl. That that's what Eli did for him. Eli got a lot out of a guy like a Kevin Boss. So I think the great ones will do that. You know, Pat Riley got a lot out of his Knicks when when he was the coach there. So it was just a beautiful thing to see Eli doing that and, and getting something out of a Kevin Boss. And I could see something similar with Caden Smith. Hopefully Daniel Jones can do that. Um, well, Jake Ballard would be another guy I would throw into that conversation. Yeah. He made plays two yeah, free exactly. lines. Oh, yeah. 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 And, and, and I mean, Bear Pasco, you know, going yeah. back to that San Francisco game that Carlos was talking about, you know, one of my greatest memories was, was that game. But specifically, you know, and one snap you saw Eli picking himself off, off the ground, his chin straps up by his mouth, his head, helmet's all twisted. And a few a few plays later, he's throwing a beautiful pass to Mario Manningham. I mean, that's that's what he was. He was a stand-in-the-pocket guy. And one other point on, on the, that touchdown to Mario Manningham in the sideline in the Super Bowl, a lot of people don't talk about it, but Eli was in the shadow of his own end zone and had a huge, what, 350-pound Vince Wolfrick in his face. And, and you talk about standing in the pocket and delivering. I mean, that's that's the kind of thing that that I would hope Daniel Jones is studying and saying, look at this guy, you know. And, and Eli, was it was funny, he would always throw the ball and turn around like a cat and land on his hands and feet, you know. Yeah, that's, I think that's... That's why he extended his career, man. He, just, right. he had that down. I don't know if Archie taught him that or where he picked that up. But, but yeah, uh, my thought now with Eli, you know, he said he didn't want to get into coaching. He didn't want to, you know, be a backup somewhere. But he's in, he's in, in New York or, in, you know, in, in Jersey there. What about the league office? I mean, he the, the guy was an NFL man of the year, not only an ultimate representative of, of the Giants, but I think an ultimate representative of the, of the NFL. So I mean, I, I would think that'd be a great position for him. You know, something in the league sure. office. What do you, what do you guys think about that? And I had some points on free agents too. Well, I think that I think that right now the furthest thing on Eli's mind is <laughs> what he wants to do. Yeah. Uh, I think that the, the league office is a place where um, number one they command a lot of your time, and I think that, that Eli's looking for looking forward to having time to spend with his girls, and he has a new son, Charlie. I mean, I think that there's guys that that want to just kind of take a, take a breather and go and be with their yeah. families. And um, obviously he'll be doing, he's an ambassador to this team and into the league. And in some way or form, he'll be doing something in that realm. But as a full-time basis, I don't think that's right. What he's going to probably do right at the moment. No. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. somebody that played 16 seasons without a break, I think yeah. wants to prioritize the family before he starts yeah. thinking about yeah, I'm sure. his next move. Yeah, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, I know I, that. I know, I know. You know, Coughlin did some stuff with the league office, and and OC is doing the stuff in London. So it's just a you know sort yeah. of pride to have yeah. more giants up there. Um, well, but remember, but Coughlin doesn't have young kids like Eli Manning does. No, yeah, so, I got so you. I got a little bit different of a landscape. Real quickly, what else did you have for us, Bruno? So the free agents, just a little ex a fun exercise. Again, it's the off season. PFF is a, a resource that I, I have to lean on. So, so just a fun exercise here. If if you had to make the decision on something like a, a top, a, one of the better corners, tackle or edge rusher, I'm looking at Chris Harris, 31 years old. He's a slot corner. We could use a good slot corner. Jack Conklin, tackle, you know, right tackle, but it's not the blind side, which is important. But the guy's only 25 years old. He's a second ranked tackle. Or, uh, well, there's Yannick Ngaku, 25 years old, second-ranked edge rusher, or Kyle Van Noy, who's kind of a hybrid. He's 28, but he's coming out of out of that Patriots, you know, hybrid defense system. You know, I would my 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 preference would be something like a a Kyle Van Noy, fix the defense. He's not too old. He knows he knows Joe Judge. But if you if you had to choose, who which one of those four guys would you choose? 
Number All right, Bruno. We'll we'll let you go on that note and appreciate the phone. I'm going call. number two. I feel like I feel like you can build defensively through the draft. I want. I'd like a 25 year old right tackle. Um, to me, it sounds good at this point. Um, just depends on what it's going to cost you. I mean, listen, edge rushers and free agency are going to cost you a lot of money. Uh, I particularly don't like 31 year old corners unless they're like Richard Sherman or someone of that. That, that you know, just once you get into your 30s and you're a runner. I mean, things start happening. Your body starts breaking down. I mean, Antoine Bethea, he was kind of a freak. I mean, the guy played a lot of football. He never really got hurt, and that's just a thing that rarely happens. But I believe that the offensive line is where we need to concentrate, and that a free agent would be a good pickup on the right tackle on that one. And, you know, because, listen, you have some guys that, that have played on this team last year that could just easily be, you know, role players as far as backups or, you know, things like that. But I think if you can just get get yourself a good – not talking about a franchise right tackle here. We're talking about a good, solid, consistent, young right tackle. Conklin's my guy. Well, Remmers is a free agent. Nick Gates is that guy that could be the jack-of-all-trades yeah. fill-in guy, to your point, to provide depth. Investing in an offensive lineman I don't think is a bad move. I think, though, Yannick Ngakwe would be right up there, Jeff, because, okay. well, I mean, keep in mind, well, Marcus Golden's a free agent. Yeah. So, you know, if you lose him, then, you know, you still need somebody to draw attention. And I know there's youth here, but I think the one thing you could argue is you had maybe Robin but you still need to find Batman. Yeah, you and find if Batman. you lose Robin, then you don't have Batman or Robin. Yeah. So I would probably okay. put Ngakwe I can see that. slightly above the offensive line okay. because I think you can maybe draft the offensive lineman or look for another option. Okay. Not easy to find premier pass rushers because most teams that find premier pass rushers, Jeff, they lock them up or they give them the franchise tag. Yeah. So that would be maybe more of my emphasis per it's se. A good, it was a great, it's a good question. It's a good one that yeah. too, that we can banter back and forth with. I believe that there's because there are a lot of offensive tackles and, and a lot of them in the draft this year, I can see with your philosophy that could work. Absolutely. We're moving along here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. By the way, we do apologize for any technical difficulties that you may be incurring while you're watching the show. If you can't see the live stream, an archive is going to be posted up on Giants.com later today. But we are here till the top of the hour, taking your phone calls, reacting to Eli Manning's retirement. And now we move towards Len in Columbia, Maryland. He joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Len? Hi, Len. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. Well, Good Len. I wish I could be there tomorrow. There's nothing like being at a place live, but... Obviously, I'll pick it up somewhere. Probably Giants.com. Huh? Yeah, it's going to be streamed live. Yeah, forget it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 TBD. It's going to be hard. So. Jeez, you know, 16 years. It's going to be hard to watch a Giants game without without number 10 on the field. Well, you had some. Well, I mean, you had some experience without, this season, You know, right? sitting there in my seats and not being able to pick up number 10 on my binoculars is going to be, you know, it's just going to be tough. It's going to be tough. But, you know, God bless. Great career. Yeah, and, definitely. Um, you know, two things that uh, stand out, and if, if you can give me 30 seconds here. Uh, um, you know, one I always felt, and I, I guess this really started, I really started to feel this about 2005, late 2005 into 2006. I just felt with him going on the field, we had a chance. Sure. You know, we had a chance in the game. We had a chance in the next series. We had a chance in the fourth quarter. You know, we had a chance in the last two minutes. I, it, the thing that stands out to me, the feeling that he, he brought about, you had a shot. You had a chance. The Giants could win this game with Eli, a quarterback. Second, uh, Jeff, you used the word, I think it was perfect, 
Thank you. Uh, you just kind of slipped it in, but a really important word. You called him special. Mm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. In so many ways. No question. Not just on the field. Not just on the field. Yeah. You know, I can't imagine a better teammate, Jeff. No, there's not. And there's a lot of things that he does off the field that he doesn't even want people to know what he does. And that's a special person. And the numbers, I mean, the numbers stand for themselves. But just, I mean, you know, the word special, he stands out. He's a cut above. Um, I mean, just, he's an icon. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's a Rushmore guy in the city. (laughs) I mean, you know, count him on one hand. You know, in my lifetime, I mean, guys who just... Everybody looks up to him. Well, all the best to Eli. All right, Len. Thanks. Thank you. Hi, Len. One more thing. Yeah. Um, I hope I'm around for Canton. Yeah, you will be. Because I'm going. I'm going. All right, Len. Good for you. Sounds good. Appreciate the phone call. Well, he's he's certainly, you know, everything that Len said. I know there's a lot of people that, um, you know, Eli's very special to them. I think he's one of them. And uh, you can tell there's a little bit of emotion in that voice of yours, Len. So I think that... There's going to be a lot of emotion in the building tomorrow. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people coming out to see this. I will be here tomorrow. Lance, you'll be here tomorrow. Um, I think it's just going to be a special day. There'll be a lot of ex-players here, um, and we're wishing him the best. And he's going to – he'll knock it out of the park as he always does, you know? Well, because when you think about it, Jeff, and there have been a lot of guys from those Super Bowl teams that have retired since. But when you think about longevity outside of Strahan – who else has spent that much time with this one franchise? <sighs> Not a lot. That's it. Yeah. I mean, it's I mean, Eli. So yeah. that's why I think tomorrow will be unique because guys come and go in mm-hmm. franchise history. Yeah. Not many guys hang around for as long as Eli did. Yeah, I mean, 14 years, I believe it was, for Strahan and, you know, 16 for – is 16? 16, 16 right? seasons yeah. for Eli, yeah. I mean, one team, uh, you, can't, you can't write it off any better than that. And, you know, I think part of the reason – as far as Eli's legacy in his own mind, I don't think he wants to go anywhere else and play. He always wants to be known as just having that one helmet. You know, one organization, two Super Bowl, two MVPs, records up to, you know, you know what. It's, I mean, he's got all of them. And just, you know, and being a guy that's that's been able to handle the pressures of playing quarterback in New York for 16 straight years is phenomenal. I mean, phenomenal. And, and I just thought it very ironic last night when I heard this. That Derek Jeter gets inducted into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, what right? a week for New York captains. I mean, you by the talk way. about two guys that epitomize being captains of a football team and a baseball team. There you have it. And when you look at comparison to the two, they pretty much are mirroring each other the way that they are as citizens, as teammates, as leaders, and as production. Now, obviously, Derek Jeter has more world championships than Eli does, but the fact of the matter is that they're both champions in a lot of people's minds and on paper. And it was just, it's outstanding that that would happen, that these two guys like this are, one's going into the hall and the other guy's announcing his retirement. Well, maybe Eli was just waiting for Derek Jeter to get the nod in the Hall of Fame, and that's why he <laughs> chose this week. Anything's possible. I wouldn't rule it out. But you're right. You've got two iconic figures. Iconic. Okay? Two players that are franchise players for their respective teams, yeah. faces of their respective teams, and also went about their business the right way. So I think that's what... And I'm sure that some some callers, some older callers, I would imagine, can bring up maybe a comparison to those two, maybe back in the day of um, you know whoever. I don't I don't know. You go back to for the Yankees and and the Giants. Um, I don't know if you can you know you're a baseball guy, so maybe you can kind of 
Are you a baseball guy? Yeah, I'm a baseball guy. Absolutely. Well, I mean, you think about plenty of greats. In but terms I mean, of like Yankee as far history. as like really close to the two players that were either you know one of them leaves one year and the other one leaves the other. Oh, I don't know about that. You in know, terms maybe of Frank timing. Gifford yeah. and somebody from the Yankees at that time. You know, maybe it was a comparison. But in terms of this one is pretty incredible. Yeah. When you think about these two guys. Well, I, I think just I was looking at it more of when you think of. One individual synonymous with a New York team, Jeter and the Yankees, Eli and the Giants, Patrick Ewing and the Knicks. Yeah, okay. You know, Namath and the Jets, perhaps, if you want to go there. It's not as if you pick out 10, 15 no. guys from every franchise. Yeah. There's only so few that have spent that amount of time with one New York team. So yeah. Eli goes in that category. Yeah. He goes with all of those guys that we just named. Well, he goes with Strahan's, Lawrence Taylor's of the world, and, yeah. and Eli. I mean, those those three guys. Well, you are really need one hand. There. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there. if you had to go one more, there's there's probably some other guys. I know a lot of people would bring up, you know, some some older players, but um, Rosie Brown, some of the other guys that we did, I, you know, didn't. Well, see you brought up Frank Gifford, I think. Yeah, that's I mean, a, so a, there's a handful of them, but when it came down to you know what you want to do, if you had to pick three, um, Eli would be one of them, I believe, and I know Lawrence Taylor would be. So the other guys, you have to figure it out. Let's head back to the phone lines. We've got Sean on Long Island. He joins Sean. us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Sean? How you doing, guys? Uh, you know, just enjoying the day. You know, it's just sure. kind of a happy and sad day hearing Eli's retiring. Right. I figured he might play one more year somewhere else, but I get it. Yeah. But uh, what I really wanted to call about is the draft. And, um, okay. you know, a lot of talk's been about trading down. But do you guys really think unless they get – I think at least if they don't get two picks in the top 15 that they won't be able to get, you know, a tackle and possibly a, you know, decent pass rusher? I just wanted to hear your guys' thoughts on that. I don't know. You know, it's, it's. I think you have to go. This is kind of one of those things where you have to look at history, and you got to go with okay. This is what teams have done in the past. Um, teams have traded down and have gotten what. So if you're the Giants, you've got to look at it a little bit that way. I I don't believe that you ever want to trade out of the top ten. Okay, even though you're sitting at number four, it's not a long yeah. ways to get out of there. But I feel like if you're going to trade down, it, ha- it can't be too far. I don't know about you, Lance, but if I'm if I am going to go down maybe two or three spots, it better be. It's got to be. I think it has to be another another number one pick in there. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, you want another number one pick and, maybe, I, and more. I think the conversation always is when you get to four. Is there somebody that you must have? Is there somebody on your board that is separated from the rest of the pack? You, you as the original pick. You as the four? original okay. pick. I yeah. think the Giants in their room they have to ask themselves yeah. that Do I if really need this. Correct. Guy? If there's a player. You know, like a Saquon Barkley, like a Daniel Jones. So you say, we've done our scouting. We must have him. Then I don't think you move, you move. yourself yeah. out of that. You just take the player. If you're yeah. on a line where you've got yeah, there's three or four guys you're interested in, Jeff, yeah, then you absolutely listen and heavily consider moving down, assuming you, you don't go so th- far down you move, that you, you lose remove the other yourself. Three that you yeah. Correct. So that's a conversation that has to happen, Sean, before we even start entertaining that. And that may not be something that could be answered until draft day. Yeah. I'm sure the Giants are going to have interest. And I think a lot of it will depend on, you know, what's the interest in the quarterback group this year? Well, the that's other what it thing, comes down to. And by the way, real quickly, Dave Gettleman has never drafted, has never moved down in a draft. So that's something you also have to look at Track as far it. as the yeah. history. Yeah. Go ahead, Sean. Yes, which is, which is very interesting. And I uh, know you guys have said if he's not doing it this draft, he's never doing it. And um, I kind of agree, though, unless I feel we get two picks in the top 15 moving down, I don't think it would be worth it, in my opinion, personally, especially if we can get, you know, a franchise left tackle, which is something that's been plaguing us since David Deal retired. Sure. 
Well, there's a lot, a lot that goes in. Well, and know? remember, there's also free agency, Sean, before the draft even comes. So who knows what the Giants will address during free agency. Your view of the draft could be very different oh, two it has months to from be. now. It has to be. When it, you it see whatever the Giants do in free agency. So right now it's easy to say, oh, well, at four they could get this, they could get that. They may address <clears> some of those areas during free agency and then the need to either be aggressive or move back completely changes based on who comes to this team in free agency. Yeah. So you can't dismiss yeah, that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much well, for waiting. Believe it or not, Lance makes sense sometimes. At times. It's rare, but it does happen at times. It does happen. Yes, it just pigs happens. do fly once in a while in East <laughs> Rutherford, New Jersey. Let's uh, go to Denny in Cortland. All right, Denny. He joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Denny? Hello, gentlemen. Good afternoon. Good afternoon Hello. to you. What's on your mind? Well, I want a quick question about a player, and then I wanted to have uh, Jeff expand on something about training camp that him and John touched on the other day. Okay. Uh, the question about the player was, uh, was it Corey Coleman that was the guy that was returning kicks for us? Yes. Did he get hurt before he did. the season He started? tore his ACL, yeah. yes. Okay, so is he? will he still be under contract? Well, Coleman year, is, is a free agent. free agent, yeah. He is a free agent, okay. That's good. And then, um, so my reason uh, to ask about training camp is a little bit uh, selfish. So I live in Cortland. Uh, we have Cortland State here. I don't know if you guys remember. Oh, you used to have the back, Giants we had there. The yeah, yeah. Training camp oh, the here, Jets there. Okay. Um, which I could care less about. Um, but I did go. Um, but my, this is a Giants town here. We're not a Jets town, even though people tried to pretend we were a Jets town. We're a Giants town. But regardless of that, um, we built. When you guys went to Albany, I believe, I forgot what year you first went there, but we, I think we were in the running for you guys possibly coming here for training camp, and Albany beat us out because their facility was better. And then we upped our game and made it a lot better, and that's why the Jets decided to come here. So after Jeff had said the other day about how much he enjoyed leaving and going to Albany for training camp, is there any chance at all that this new coach may decide to go back more of that old school approach and head out to training camp somewhere else? I, I think it's a good question, and I and you're right. It's, it's a selfish question, and shame on you. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, I, you know, and I get it. I get it as from a fan's perspective because I had a bunch of neighbors of mine that would love to go to training camp every year and watch us, and, you know, it's kind of a mecca for some people that they're able to go up there, and, and certainly more people are able to see training camp at sites like that, right? Because, I mean, yeah. now you can only get so many people here in the facility. It's the economics of the game is what what's the problem. It's it's just okay. you know it's expensive to move everything to a facility like that. They got to take the weight room up there, and it's just uh, you know they probably I would imagine they they either save a little bit of money or at least break even by staying here. Um, okay. But here's the other thing, and this this is a Belichick thing, and this with with Joe Judge being so close to that organization. Bill Belichick is a big believer in, in going and in, in practicing with other teams. And so uh -huh. that probably would be the one area that I would see that, that they go somewhere else and practice for a week. Now, it may not okay. be to Cortland, but it might be somewhere uh -huh. close that people can go watch. And so he's a big proponent of that. And you know what? By the way, I am too. I am too okay. because I feel like you get more out of joint practices for three days than you will ever get out of a preseason game in 60 minutes. And, and I think the coaches agree. And I think it's a good deal as long as the two teams – and I remember when we went up to – when we had the, the Jets would come up and scrimmage us in Albany, um, they, they very rarely did we make it through the whole practice because it always got shut down early because everybody was idiots about 
fighting and Fist things like that. Yeah. If you're on the same page of what you, what your motive is to get things done, then it can work. And I remember if you can have that that peacefulness, if you will. And a few years ago, the Giants went to this to the Detroit. Yeah, with Sean. They've gone to. Uh, uh, I got to go actually when they Cincinnati, did to the Bengals. The Bengals, you know, yep. it worked out fine. You know, and, and Marvin Jones was a guy that said, or Lewis, or, or Lewis, the yeah. other guy, the guy Marvin Jones was singing <laughs> at the time, um, that he said, <laughs> or playing wide receiver for the Lions. Receiver, yes, go whatever, ahead. Whoever yeah. it is, you know, they did got together with. Eagle? They got. They got. Did yeah? No, he didn't. Um, okay. But but the fact is that as long as you're on the same page and get you know you're gonna get some work done, it'll be fine. So. But I, I I don't think today the the young guys their 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 training camps are always at the facility in college. Um, there is no there's very rare. I think there might be maybe a handful of teams that do it outside of their facilities anymore. So a lot of these guys, young guys don't even know the difference. I think if you if they would enjoy it if you were were able to go back in time and go to some of those places because I feel like it's just the camaraderie of the team. It's the, the fans get to get more interactive with the team. And I just think it's just a good thing. So sorry to belabor the point there, but I think it's, it's no, meaningful. That's okay. Well, I agree with you. And uh, Hey, we're here for you. If you guys need it. All right, Denny. <laughs> Thank appreciate you. the phone call. Yeah. Thanks so much. Uh, I think a lot of teams have now built these state of the art facilities yeah. over the last few yeah. years that, it really would go against leaving it after you invest all yeah. your time in building them up because, to your point, Jeff, you've got everything rolling yeah. out of bed for you here. You do. Whereas, what's the point of packing it up? So I understand why a lot of teams have gone in that direction. And also, just to look at it from a Patriots perspective, Bill Belichick and the Patriots use the practice fields behind Gillette Stadium for training camp. So Joe Judge has not left anywhere. That's right. I mean, I have to yeah. go back to see if the Patriots during Belichick have left town. But to my knowledge, recent yeah. history, it's always been the you practice fields. You think everybody's come that to behind their, Gillette like the Stadium. joint practice? Well, no, no, I think sometimes they have gone okay. to your point. Yeah. I don't no, think they've, they've ever left. left. I'm just talking about actually leaving yeah. to do the entire yeah. camp. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the other thing, too, is you, you have to understand that, um, you know, with this, the reason why the Giants, one of the reasons, and one of the big reasons why the Giants left Albany is because, you know, in the summertime up there, it rains. And we get the big thunderstorm. So in the afternoon, practices would get canceled. No indoor facility. And no indoor facility. We would be in the gym doing walkthroughs. And that yeah. doesn't float with a coach that wants to practice all the time. These guys want they need to practice. So they would lose you know, five or six practices during the off, during the preseason, and you can't do that. So now the Giants have their indoor facility. They're never going to lose a practice, and that, that means a lot. It really yeah. does. Well, and that's more of a reason why you built an indoor facility here. That's right. Why leave it to go to a place that doesn't have an indoor facility? That's correct. And listen, you could speak to this. Tom Coughlin wasn't very pleased when it rained because he knew – he had nowhere to turn to. And the kids, the kids, the, you know, we loved it. It's raining. We're going in well, the gym. Of course, yeah. <laughs> no practice. You loved it. Yeah, I don't I think it. he loved it. He yeah. did not like it. In fact, that's one of the reasons why they came back. And, and you know, it's just, I think now uh, it would be just as hard to convince somebody now to go back to that as it was to convince them to leave it back then. You know what I'm saying? I feel like because somebody had to talk them into the, the positives of leaving training camp up in Albany. And then once it once they got here, they saw how great it was. You have you'd be hard pressed to, to convince anybody to leave this now to go back to someplace like Cortland. Of course. Plus, when you look at this setup here, I think the Giants have done a good job with the bleachers, giving fans access yeah. to come and watch. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that 
impacts the fans is Mother Nature. When it rains, they're going to move practice inside, and unfortunately, right. there's no way yeah. to watch practice. But then again, weather impacted Albany anyway. That's correct. Yeah. If and you ran into the gym, what were the fans going to do? They were going to nah, be stuck they waited, outside anyway. Well, they waited for you outside when you came in to sign autographs. And okay. You know, but I feel like I, I feel like the the fans do get a little bit. You know, when it was at Cortland or was it Albany. Um, I feel like the the Giants players could interact a little bit more with the players with the fans then, um, for many reasons. It was just always has been that way, right? And nothing had changed. Well, now because this is a facility that is really is tightened down security wise, it's hard to have that accessibility towards the players. But the Giant organization does as good a job as they can rotating the players signing autographs after practice, and so everybody gets their share. The other thing I like about it is that the alumni. The Giants legends, if you call them that, are out there signing autographs during practice. So it is very interactive still to this point, but just not as closeness as you had before. Let's head back to the phone lines. Let's check in with Peter in Key Largo. Peter, welcome uh, to Big Blue Kickoff Peter Live. Peter from Key What's Largo, happening? our guy that we just cannot stand this time of the year being in <laughs> Key Largo. <laughs> Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I, I love you too, Jeff. I, I know. You yeah. Too. The feelings. But you always have great insight <laughs> as you're sipping your uh, pina hey colada guys. on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, surprisingly, there's not many beaches here in the Keys. We're well, just there's water, We're though. There's water, yes. By water. All right. There you go. That's yeah. right. So, so what do you got for us? A couple quick questions for you guys. Um, first question I wanted to ask you guys, get your opinions on. Uh, with respect to the new hires on the defensive side of the ball, uh, I'm somewhat familiar with uh, Coach Graham. You know, he was the, the coach at Miami, and I think that was a pretty interesting hire. But one thing I want you to ask your opinions on, that new DB coach. Um, mm-hmm. I know he was with the Falcons for Henderson. a bit, but, you know, I just did the quick PFF deal where he wasn't highly ranked <laughs> with respect to the, the defenses that he coordinated or he was in charge of. So I wanted to kind of get your opinion on that. If, okay. If you feel it was a good hire, if there's any huge red flags on that, and then I have a second follow-up question. Well, for first of all, be, before you expand on that, Jeff, nothing is official with respect to the coaching staff other than the coordinators, and that's important to emphasize because even though you've seen reports, Peter, and we've seen them too, and we'll be more than happy to talk about those individuals, but it's all reports. There's nothing official. So things are fluid. Things can always change, just to be clear on that front. Oh yeah, sure. And you know, I, I think that you hit the nail on the head. There's not a lot. I've 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 met him um, when he was actually interviewing here. I had had a chance to, to talk to him, um, but I haven't seen him since. He, either he has or hasn't been hired. I have no idea. But the fact is, is that you don't know a lot about him. But I think obviously something that that really meant a lot to Coach Judge was the fact that he's probably a really good. He fits the mold of what he wants out of a coach on this team. That's a good teacher, a guy that can communicate well. And just because pro football focus doesn't rank him as high as he should be or shouldn't be, I think that it's, you know, we'll have to see. You got a got a heck of a, a heck of a group that he has to teach there. I mean, those guys, those guys are young and they're coming into their own and they'll be all in their second year, except for Beal. But I feel like, you know, he's got a little bit of a job to do. And if, if they went out and hired this guy and he's a good teacher and a guy that can teach these guys some fundamentals and you know, and I and I I had heard. Well, I won't even go there. Never mind. Go ahead. Well, what I was going to add is keep in mind it's all about who you know, connections, relationships. Yeah. He played for Bill Parcells in New England in the Jets, and then he also played for Bill Belichick with both of those teams because Belichick was the defensive coordinator. So you know, there's once again that tie to the Saban Belichick tree. Yep. He has been with a few teams. To your point, Peter, in terms of being a DB's coach, he's never been a defensive coordinator. 
As far as whatever you're looking at in the rankings department, I'm sure you're looking at what PFF ranked in terms of the players. So remember, he's working with completely different personnel here in New York, and he's working with young personnel. So whoever's going to be the DB's coach here, the priority is grooming these guys and also getting them to learn a new scheme in year two after they were learning a new scheme in year one. So, you know, I think... He probably, if Judge is looking for a DB's coach, big part of the philosophy, to your point, Jeff, is somebody that's been exposed to a variety of different personnel, both young and old, has worked with perhaps a scheme that is similar to maybe what Patrick Graham is working with. And remember, Graham and him both come from that Belichick, Parcells, Saban school of thought. So there's that connection. And oh, by the way, he also has connections to Jason Garrett because he was on the Dallas coaching staff when Garrett was there for a few years. So, you know, I think a lot of that, once again, goes back to relationships. And you could speak volumes to There's this no too, question. Jeff, right? Yeah. It's not to say that you're just hiring your best friends, but you want people on staff who you trust. Well, you want people on staff to who you trust, and you also want people on staff that you can, that they're going to, they understand that when you're interviewing, I'm telling you what I want to do, and are you on board with that? And they're, and they're, in, they're all in. Uh, they had the same philosophies, if you will, right? I mean, that's probably why, in fact, he hired this guy because I feel like Jerome Henderson is a guy that has, has all these connections that you said, and we ha- we can sit here and have an interview, and we have a lot in common, and we're going to try to reach that same goal. And, you know, some guys might just say, you know what, I don't believe in this scheme. I just If I come here, I'm going to run this, and th- that's when the guy says, you know what, that's great and all, but, you know, you're going to have to run this, and there's kind of that conflict. I think they get on the same page, and they figure it out, and then they realize they can work together. And, Peter, thanks for the phone call. Yeah, thank you, Peter. Appreciate you weighing in. Let's go to Dennis in Charlotte. Dennis, welcome to the Big Blue Kickoff Live. What do you have for us? Hi, Dennis. Yes, hi there, fellas. Uh, I I just want to say congratulations to Eli. I'm glad that he retired uh, the way he did. Great. He deserved to go out that way. And uh, I go back as far as uh, Charlie Connolly. Okay. And and, and back into those fellas there with – uh, and the kickers, I like to say about the the, the kickers. I don't know if uh, if Mr. Fiegel has ever uh, looked into the history of the giant kickers, but there's a guy there was from my hometown, Dave Jennings. He was uh, he was actually uh, one of the most valuable giants. In of course, in the seventies, yeah. Without yeah. him, they wouldn't have won a game. Absolutely. And uh, <laughs> him and uh, and Don Chandler was back in the fifties. Another good one. The, yep. And, and those guys, and I think that uh, they were all really nice guys to talk to, and and especially the fellow sitting next to you. And I think he he ranked right up there with them, but he never gets the the credit. And I heard the guys joking about the Hall of Fame, and I think that uh, <laughs> at least Chandler and the fellow sitting next to you there, Mr. Figueroa, they I think that they're Hall of Fame uh, Thank worthy you. and people. Thank That's, you. Uh, I like I'm you, glad Dennis. I got through to say to those guys because I'm an old kicker myself and I know you get very little thanks but you get a a lot of the booze when you don't do it right. Definitely. (laughs) But then there's guys like you that can bring us back up. Thank you so much Dennis. (laughs) I appreciate that. Yes. We need the positive morale as much as we can. The funny thing about it is I thought Dennis was speaking directly at me and when he said the guy next to you. Yeah, I was also lost. I said I don't remember suiting up at all but (laughs) unless he was talking about some punter or long snapper that Maybe as close to you within the vicinity of the building, but you not know, I know some people you. will enjoy this. But um, I got to know Dave Jennings before I became a giant um, through the years of just running into him and speaking with him. And then when I came became a giant, you know, Dave was doing radio. Um, he was doing radio on on uh, for the for the Giants, 
Um, and he would travel with the team when I was playing with the Giants. And lo and behold, we, we got on the plane and we would sit in the back. And what do you think we were talking about? Punting. That's all we talked well, about. And it was getting some of the of Dave's perspectives on punting and how the game has changed. And for those that don't know, Dave Jennings, a record that I hold, which probably will never be broken, um, the inside the 20s kicks in, in, in a career. Dave Jennings was the guy that got that statistic put into football because he was tired of doing this, like I just banging those balls out inside the 15, 20-yard line and never really getting credit for it by taking a 26-yard punt because you're doing that. He said, you know, we should be acknowledged for this. And he was, Dave Jennings was the guy that got inside the 20 statistic put into the stats for punting. Well, there you go. There you so go. So you learn something every day, Lance. Of the punting and the kicking. And of game. all the And if uh, anyone knows how, it. I know you knew that, right? No, I learned something every okay, day from that's you. Good. Yes. I, I can't claim now, that. Now if Tatino was here, he would have told me he already knew that. Well, and, and then uh, he I would think... proceed to tell me something that I didn't know. Correct. Even right? though you played the game that, that, and he didn't, right. he'd yeah. still teach you something. That's about exactly that. right. Let's go to Charlie in Portland, Maine. I'm sure the conversation will get very interesting now. What's happening, Charlie? Hey Lance. How are we doing? Oh, hey, how about I'm Jeff? Good. Did you just I'm call him good. Paul? Wait a minute. Hold on, Charlie. Did you just say Paul? You said Paul, didn't you? Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, uh, that's, yes, you that's, should be sorry. That's strike fact, one. Should be hey, well, really that's strike one on the phone call. Sound. We don't have any sound on your app. Well, so can you hear us right now? To... <laughs> can you hear us now? Excuse me? I, I can you hear us? You can you hear me now? No Yes, you can hear So, So... You complain. You can see. This is what I love about Charlie. Jeff. He calls in. He's hearing us, but he'll still find a way to complain. Well, see, I told you, Lance. At I, least I could still call even when I can't hear you guys. How's well, that? that was only hey, because we're actually expecting somebody else's phone call, and we accidentally picked you up, thinking it was somebody else. Just so you know, okay? Let the record show that. Hey, but go ahead. Hey, I, I just want to say, look, Eli, man, this is a sad day and a great day. In one sense, it's a great day for him and his family. And I hope. Well, until you said that, we were unsure. So I'm glad you clarified that. But go ahead. Is yes. there a butt coming I, here? I, I hope Peyton. The jury was out on that, yeah. They, they are so funny together that they would be great in a bumbling, stumbling, like, detective show, a movie where they, you know, I just think they would be great. And Cooper's funny. You bring him in. I think these guys would have a career in movies, in comedies. All right, I, well. I hope they pursue that. I hope they really do because there's just something there. But anyway, the Giant Nation has gone to really understand, especially the people that have been bashing Eli for the last five years. Like you. That they will never, <laughs> no, I never bashed Eli, ever. <laughs> and, you know, Eli, Eli is, there's no one that can ever, will ever play, be ready to play in 232 games, whatever it was. Yeah, a lot. But uh, Daniel Jones already has missed that mark. Yeah, it was 236, year. but we always leave you to give okay, us accurate numbers. That's good, yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's just unbelievable. <laughs> and and you could have had two more chips if this organization had given them an offensive line uh, for the last five or six years. And if uh, Plaxico didn't shoot himself in the foot, we might have had one in 2008. But Eli, Giant Nation is going to realize this is one-in-a-lifetime generational quarterback that we're probably never going to see again. And I, I, I think it's sad that he's leaving in one sense, 
because if I was the Giants, I would have let him come back because he said he would come back if he could compete for the starting position. And they should have let him come back to compete for the starting position. And believe me, I think he would have won it against Daniel Jones. And I do believe that Daniel Jones is not the answer, that we're going to be going in the uh, quarterback wilderness like we did after Phil Sims for a few years. And uh, people are really going to appreciate Eli because we're not there yet with another quarterback. And I hope this coach will understand that and they'll get somebody in the draft to compete with Jones because, to me, he is not the answer. And Eli, is, is the, he is the, you know, he'll be Hall of Fame whether he's first round first time or whatever. It doesn't matter. He'll be in there. I didn't know there were and, rounds uh, to the Hall of Fame, but that's good to know, too. We're in the Chargers. Yeah. No, I, I yeah. think the first think pick in the first round hey, of the Hall of Fame hey, draft, yes. I think you make some good hey. points, Charlie, about well, Eli. Some. He Speak really for uh, some yeah. of us. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just a few. But, yeah. I mean, I, I echo yeah. a lot of the things you're saying about Eli. Yeah. Um, I do not believe that um, he would win against Daniel Jones in a competition in the offseason, which is one reason why I think that he just said, you know, uh, especially because they started him for the rest of the season. I mean, why would he, you know, they wouldn't do that. Um, but yeah, you know this what? This is a new coach with new eyes. Well, we'll see. I mean, Shermer yeah. was tied to Jones. Yeah. I mean, this was, and Gettleman is too. I mean, the guy would have to have one leg for them not to utilize him and not to play him. And that was so obvious last mm. year. But let me say this, Jeff. If you okay. run into Will Beatty, Say hello. Okay. Get him on your show because he he would probably be there tomorrow. Oh, now I'm the booking agent for the show. <laughs> I gotta get I gotta get Will Beatty well, no, and, and Charlie's Eli here. producing the show That's now. Right. Forget yeah, okay. you. We, yeah. He just needs you to carry out his messages and his orders. Well, maybe Will. Be, Thank Will you, be Charlie. There Always a pleasure hearing yeah. your insight on this program. Maybe he'll show up for Eli's retirement. Who knows? Yeah. Well, well, we'll I'll tell you one guy that won't be in the building. It certainly won't be Charlie. We'll all be better off for that. Thank goodness. Thank God. Security has his photo everywhere in that room. I've walked in there a few times. I don't think Schmelk will be here tomorrow either. No, he won't. But we do have him on the phone line from Mobile, Alabama. And interestingly, we were talking about the rain in Albany and how you had to run inside. Today's one. I believe Schmelk. It's a rainy day in Alabama, if I'm correct. So weren't practices were moved indoors today? As we welcome in John, what's happening? Yes. Hi, it John. It's not started to rain yet, guys, but okay. it's supposed to. So they kind of preempted the practice today by uh, moving it to an indoor practice facility in case it does begin to rain over the course of practice. And are you able to – I remember you talked about this last time where you weren't able to, of the people not to get in there. It was just, what, coaches and, you know, stuff like that. Are you going to be able to get in there? Yes, we will. They actually are allowing media access in one of the end zones. Oh. And I'm hoping, since I have a New York Giants on my tag, I might be able to wander a little bit more than that. We'll see if I can fake my way into better access or not. I will try. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. With so many people that are going to be in a rather small facility, we'll see what the access and what the experience is like today. Yeah, because wasn't it in previous years when it rained, they just distributed videos of the practice as opposed to let the media come, right? Isn't that how it yeah, was let- structured? Yeah, last year they allowed three um, three representatives from each team, I believe, into the practice. But this year they're allowing all team personnel and, and media. So this will be something new. We'll see how it goes. Well, at least you'll be able to have somewhat of it. Is, is this a practice facility, John, like the Giants have here? Or is it something bigger? Is it an indoor track? What What is it? I think it's similar to what the Giants have here. I believe it's a 100-yard field. I've not gotten okay. there yet. I should be there in probably about a half an hour so. Um, we'll see, but based on the video I saw last year, I think it's kind of a similar to the enclosed facility that the Giants have. So it's going to be a lot. Of, it's going to be a lot of. It's going to be crowded. 
Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, because the go. problem is that there aren't any stands. So it's going to be just yeah. everybody standing on the sidelines. So I don't know how that's going to work. Well, I've always what I've always done in situations like that, I just go places until they tell me I can't go anymore. <laughs> so if there's any advice, John, just, just Test act, the boundaries. Like, just act yeah. like you've been there. That's what you got to do. Yeah, act like you own the place. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> that sounds like a good plan. I'll try it. <laughs> good for you. In terms of yesterday, I know in your practice report you were focusing a lot on the uh, skill positions. So who jumped out to you from uh, day two as they did more and more nine and seven drills? Yeah, I mean, I think Van Jefferson, the wide receiver from Florida, I thought really had a, a nice day, a really good route runner, separated. He's a guy that I didn't know a lot about before I got out here, but I think, you know, you can make the argument he's been the best wide receiver out here. Um, a guy, Colin uh, Johnson from Texas, I was excited to see Devin uh, Duvernay, his teammate, and he's been fine. He's shown some separation ability and things like that. But I think his teammate, Colin Johnson, is a bigger wide receiver around 6'4". He's made some good contested catches downfield and has kind of been a big play guy. So that's been a guy that's impressed me, a wide receiver. Um, take a look at some of the other guys that have been out there. Adam Troutman, the tight end from Dayton. Uh, he's a uh, division, he's an FCS guy. He was the player of the year in the Pioneer League. He's 6'5", he's 250, and even though he's from a small school, he looks like the best tight end out there. He can run, he can catch, he can block. Uh, really impressed with him. I think he's definitely going to be a day two pick. Interesting. You know, that it seems to me that if there's one position that you can pull a player out of a smaller school, it's that position there because I feel like they're just kind of those – it's one of those positions where if you're athletic – Okay, and you can move to the next level, be able to to at least block. Um, but if you have some athleticism, like some of these tight ends do these days, you're you're kind of a commodity. You want to you if you can do something in the Senior Bowl and do something in one of these games, you got a good chance of being one of those second day picks. Yeah, no question about it. And what I liked about him too is that we were talking to him during media on. Tuesday, and you know, I asked him what he wanted to kind of show the coaches here, and I was expecting to say, "Oh, I want to make some plays down the field. I want to show I can get open against you know better players." His answer: I want to participate in nine on sevens. I want to block. I want to show that I can be a two-way tight end. So it's something that he wants to prove to the coaches that he's able to do is do both things a tight end is needed to do in the NFL. Well, God only knows if we, we've talked about this subject for so long with the tight ends that are on the Giants about blocking. Yeah. It sure is nice to hear that coming out of somebody's mouth that says, <laughs> listen, I can block and nobody thinks I can, but let me show you. Uh, some of these yep. receivers, that's also another thing that you like to look at from a wide receiver standpoint too is their blocking ability. Have you been able to see some of that at practice or have they been has it been light enough they're not really letting these guys compete all that well at that position as far as physicality? No, they actually had um, a couple of specific, specifically designed wide receiver blocking drills. So they've actually done some of that. Uh, Denzel Mims, a wide receiver from Baylor, who's 6'4 and 220. Mm. He's a guy that looked really good in the blocking drills. Michael Pittman Jr. from USC. I thought they did a pretty nice job blocking as a wide receiver. So they are. I think they've done a good job of designing these practices to kind of give you a little bit of taste of everything of what these guys can do. They did the one-on-one blocking drills for tight ends and running backs against linebackers. So they're trying to give these coaches the best feel for everything these guys can do as well-rounded players. Before we let you go, John, I know a big story coming out of the Senior Bowl today was uh, South Carolina defensive tackle Javon Kinlaw. He's shutting things down because of knee tendonitis. I know that was one of the guys you talked about yesterday. Is this perhaps going to be a trend maybe where guys are going to get one or two days in practice and then say, you know what, I'm not going to risk injury here moving forward? 
Yeah, and it's something I think we've seen before from, from some of the better players. And, look, Kinlaw, I think, has proven in his two days here that he's probably the best defensive lineman on the field. And I think I wonder if it's scared a little bit because one of the guys I talked to you about yesterday, or Tuesday maybe it was, was Marlon Davidson out of Auburn, who I thought was maybe the best player on the field on Tuesday. He was dominant. Then he shows up on Wednesday, didn't practice, and, and he was in a walking boot. So I think maybe he saw that and he's like, ah, I think I've shown enough. Adios. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at least you got to give him a little credit of at least just being there. Um, so of I course. don't, yep. I don't fault them to the point where, listen, guys, if you want to get a quick look at me for a couple practices, that's more than what I should be doing at this point because you see that's a trend. Um, you know, maybe next year it'll be one practice, and then before you know it, there won't <laughs> be any of, practice, of them. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's 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 you know it goes to show you these guys at least their agents are probably telling them, hey, okay, you've had enough, let's leave. Yeah, absolutely. And, and But I think it is important, like you said, that a lot of the top players come. And I think it's gotten better the last year. And I think a lot of the top players have come to this game. I think, you know, they lost a couple guys late this year, like a Christian Fulton. You had a couple medical red flags at physicals with uh, Prince Tega Winoho, who had to pull out. And um, Brandon Ayuk had to pull out late, who was probably the top wide receiver that was supposed to be here. So that hurt. But I, I think the attendance has been very, very strong. And hopefully that'll be a trend that we have moving forward. Because, look, the more exposure that we have to these guys, and especially for me who doesn't have much, a lot of time to watch college football during the season, you have to see these guys in person like this. Uh, I think there's a great benefit to, to, A, us that's covering it, and also to the uh, people that run the NFL scouting department. You know, you want to see them against the best competition, especially the smaller school guys, yeah. like a Kyle Duggar from Division Two, Lenore Ryan, yeah. who's had a really good week. Uh, and they're showing that they can compete. So I think it's a real valuable event. Well, you stole my question. I was just going to ask you if you had to see if you've seen some guy that's come from the Division One AA or whatever you call it these days, or even I don't think there's anybody from the Division Three schools there. But the fact oh, is, oh no, there are Jeff. There is. is. There? There so, is an offensive so, to, tackle okay. from St. John's, wow. Ben Barch, okay, who actually who actually has done fairly well at offensive tackle. So that is the one Division Three guy there. I mentioned uh, Duggar the Division Two guy, and then I mentioned uh, Troutman, uh, the uh, the uh, kid from the FCS program, Akeem Davis-Gaither, is another smaller school guy, Appalachian State, that I think has done pretty well. There's a South Carolina State kid here, um, Taylor is his last name, and he's a 6'9 offensive tackle with 36-inch arms. So there's a wide array of small school guys here that have really kind of made their mark over the course of the week. Anybody from our our famed FCS school over there in the uh, Northeast Conference that we uh, saw play this year, John? Or no? Uh, there are no, no NEC okay. players at the Senior Bowl, unfortunately. All right. All right, no big deal. Well, remember, Darius Leonard is a product of South Carolina State, and he made a name yep. for himself a few years ago. So you think? You should not overlook <laughs> that guy small knows schools. Tackle. Yes, something tells me he does know a thing or two. All right, John, we'll stay dry yes. and luck, uh, safe travels back uh, from Alabama. Absolutely. I look forward to getting back. Unfortunately, I have a jury duty early next week. Oh, so I wow. won't see you guys on the show till middle or late next week. Wow. How lucky you I didn't are. I know you're on the Harvey Weinstein jury. That's crazy. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, well, that's not taking part in Jersey. So I think he's I think he's going to be okay to avoid that case. All right, All right John. Take cool. it easy. See you, John. We'll speak. Uh, John Schmoke from Mobile, Alabama. We, you know, well, maybe there was one going on in Jersey. Who knows? Well, who knows? Maybe there are smaller cases. I'm sure that will. <laughs> I hope uh, not. I hope not. <laughs>
take up his time. But, well, uh, you know, the John, he's, he does a good job for Mobile. I mean, it, 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 a lot of people there, a lot of guys running around. and you know, Boy, I, This is the show to pat each other on the back. I didn't know that that was the memo that was handed out. Uh, you know, just a nice guy. <laughs> Compliments today, you know? all I mean, across the board. I mean, there's chocolates after the uh, show for everybody. You know, it's just whatever you want. Uh, well, yes. I had, I, I, I've given you a compliment today, haven't well, I? Well, I'm not looking for that, but yes, you, you have thrown uh, them all around. The callers, patting you on the back. I, I just wanted to make it clear that that seems it's, to be a big theme just happy, for today's happy uh, today. Big Blue Kickoff you know? Live. Yes. I mean, we got to talk a little bit about Eli, we did? and yeah, tomorrow's absolutely. a big day, and uh, we'll, we'll be there. So yes, we will. I'm sure that everybody can listen and, and at least see, hopefully, if we can get this thing going <laughs> for tomorrow, right? <laughs> yes, that is the goal, that the we technology will. will cooperate. We will. The archive will be up later today of our latest edition here of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Now, tomorrow, we will have Big Blue Kickoff Live. There is a good chance that it will be pushed back because of the Eli Manning press conference. We're not exactly sure what time that's going to be wrapped up, so stay locked to Giants.com, as well as those of you who follow us on social media and the Giants accounts. We will keep you posted as to whether or not it will be at noon or more than likely it will be a little bit later, but we will keep you posted on that front. There will be a show. We're just not exactly sure at this point what time we will start up the festivities. Appreciate everybody for tuning in. Yep. For Jeff Fiegels, I'm Lance Meadow. A reminder, Big Blue Kickoff Live brought to you by Coors Light, Mountain Cold Refresher made to chill, and always stay locked to Giants.com. Have a good one.